Welcome to the show where we unearth new ways of looking at ever-evolving life around the world, seen from a number of different industries, cultures, and backgrounds. But there's one thing that unites everyone I speak to. They all want to do their part to make the world better in their own unique ways. It's a uniting passion. Whether they're from the commercial world, third sector, or public sector, from the global north or the global south, my name is Philippa White, and welcome to Thai Unearthed. Hello, and welcome to episode 58 of Thai Unearthed. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Neese, a mom of two little ones and co-CEO of the largest media agency in Australia. Now, I was super excited to talk to Laura for a few reasons. She, like me, understands only too well what it's like to look after little people, run a company, and actively work to contribute to a better world. I wanted to hear more of her thoughts on being a female in a leadership role and how she sees it as an incredible opportunity to move towards an environment where expressing empathy and vulnerability no longer count against us. I'm a huge believer in the power of feminine energy in business, and I know she has a lot to say. Also, in her role, she has access to influential global and local brands who can really make a difference to people's lives, providing she and her business set the right vision and have a clear strategy. She's passionate about making the business stand for more, and as a leader, inspiring other people to do the same. And I wanted to hear more of her thoughts on this. And Laura took part in our Thai Accelerator program at the start of the year, and I was super keen to hear her takeaways from that. So there's a lot here. So grab that favorite beverage or throw on those running shoes. And here's Laura. Hi, Laura. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you for joining Thai Unearthed. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's actually the first podcast that I've done with a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be wrong for me to have a glass of wine because it's currently 9.30 a.m. in Australia. So exactly with a glass of water and a coffee. <laughs> exactly. And yes, it is because it's 8.30 at night in Brazil. And I thought, <laughs> okay, while I wait for this to happen, I'll pour myself a nice, they call it Vinho Verde, which is uh, a Portuguese green wine. So nice and fresh for this evening. Lovely. <laughs> I think to kick this off before we get into, there's lots of meaty issues that I'm wanting to to get from you because I just think you're such an inspiration and you're doing such incredible stuff. And I see a lot of parallels with you and me actually with similar life stages and everything. And so it's just great to get your perspective on things. But before we get there, perhaps you can just tell us a bit about you and your background before you came a co-CEO of one of the biggest or if not the biggest media agency in Australia. Sure. Well, as you can tell by my accent, I am not Australian. Um, I'm actually from Essex in the UK. Um, so I feel even that alone, I've come a long way from the dizzy heights of Essex to uh, obviously Sydney in Australia, which is an achievement in itself. I had an incredible career in London, loved it, had the best time and, you know, worked hard, kind of worked very much in terms of a progressive career ladder. But during that time, I actually took a bit of a sort of sidestep, which we're now terming in our business a squiggly career. And it doesn't always become linear. Sometimes you have personal moments that make you reflect and think differently about what you want out of your life more holistically. And it actually took me to a space which was quite interesting because I got to a position where I felt like I wasn't learning from a capability perspective. And I became very good at 
talking to clients and bringing the right people together and building those relationships and being very collaborative. But then I'd sit in the room and kind of be like wowed at the people that I'd actually brought in to have the conversation. But but also felt a bit frustrated that it wasn't me having that conversation. It's quite interesting because from a media perspective, that that's kind of the dynamic of where the industry's gone. You know, we've become lots of experts and actually it's becoming much more complicated. So with that, I actually went back to Omnicom, which is where I'd been in Australia, but in the London office. And I just said to the interviewer or the head of people, I said, I just want to do something that's really going to challenge me and give me a different perspective, but be really lateral about it. Like, don't look at my CV and go, this is the next logical step. And that's how I actually ended up consulting for Analect, which was their data tech and analytics division of Omnicom. I had no idea what they did. Culturally, it was so different to me. I was like the loud person that came into the office and you had all these really super smart analysts and you know tech coders who had masters and PhDs <laughs> and I was just very good at building relationships and kind of you know my, my I guess my superpower was listening and understanding what they did but then simplifying it for agencies and for clients and going how are we going to tell that story yeah. so actually it became an incredible opportunity. What I didn't realise at the time, and I guess it depends who I'm speaking to, how I packaged this up. Some people go, wow, that's a really smart move. That must have really accelerated your career. The honest truth was I was just looking for something different. I was just looking for personal growth. And actually, I think that's a really important thing to be true to what it is you're personally looking for, rather than going, what is the next thing that's going to make my career fly? Because it then organically happened because I was passionate about it and had a genuine love for what I did, then actually meant that I was approached again by my Sydney team to come and do the managing director role for OMD. So I actually relocated again. I then earned the title of OMD Boomeranger because I went and I came back again. And I now use that term fondly when I introduce our boomerangers. And I always say we only ever take the good ones back. And yeah, I relocated back to Sydney. So I came back as MD and I came at possibly the worst time that I had never anticipated because I came into bushfires, which then went into COVID flooding, more COVID. So from a natural disaster perspective, the house was either full of smoke there was either flooding going on around me or we were Virus. in isolation. <laughs> so, yeah. So in terms of throwing a few challenges and being put in the deep end, my first role as a managing director of a agency was just challenge after challenge after challenge. So wow. obviously I got through that. And then the co-CEO became an opportunity as a result. And that was of during COVID. Yeah, kind of a year ago, I got the promotion to co-CEO and... That in itself was really interesting because my CEO left and went to a competitor and it opened up that opportunity. And obviously the difference in that title is the co-bit, which actually I'm most proud about because I do tell the us co-role. Yeah, yeah tell us co-role with Sean. So Sean Whitnell. So she was chief digital officer nationally for OMD and I was running the Sydney office. And we actually came together because we were both interested in the role, but both identified that our strengths and each other's strengths together were much more powerful than if we went up against each other. So did you both together go for that role with that in mind? That's genius. 
Yeah, we went together. We gave our now boss the context that where the industry has gone is so complex. And what you're asking people to do now is fragmented and it's complicated. And we're having to distill that for our clients. And so there's kind of like two speeds of economy. There's the one that goes, clients want the now. They want to know that if they're launching a new campaign or launching a new product, that this agency can deliver that. So they can work with the networks, they can put a TV campaign down, they can show how audiences are driving the right channels, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, they're looking at business transformation. They're going, how does my data, my tech, my analytics, all of that capability come together? And what does my two, three-year horizon look like? Now, as a CEO, trying to balance all of that together across 200 clients is vast. And bringing the 600 people that we have in the agency across Australia together, again, is a huge job. So Sean and I were quite honest about it. You're asking one person to lead that. And of course, we have an incredible exec team who have been consistent through many, many years working together. And of course, you know, we have different roles and how we all work together is really important. But the power that we can bring together in that leadership role is phenomenal because not only, you know, you say it's lonely at the top. Well, in our case, it's not because we talk to each other every single morning before we go in and we'll go, right, what's the priorities for today and for next week? And we'll talk through what they are. And we're very clear on our roles. So we have clarity of roles, but we have this shared responsibility. So her, her success is my success. Her fuck up is my fuck up. It doesn't matter. We're we're in this together. Can you just explain in a nutshell what you do? Sure. This is always the hardest question because it's like, how do I tell my mum and dad what I do? And I'm still not not sure I've cracked it. What I usually start with is we don't make the ads. (laughs) That helps a little bit. So there's there's advertising agencies within Omnicom. So I work as part of Omnicom, which is a US-based network. Within that is Omnicom Media Group, which is a number of different media agencies. And as OMD, we look after communications for our clients. So we will have clients like McDonald's. Telstra is the biggest telco in Australia. Coles is the biggest supermarket in Australia. Qantas, as you can imagine, has been a really interesting journey to be on right now, in fact, but also during COVID. So for us, it's about how we work with those client partners in identifying what is the business problem or opportunity that they're trying to solve. Now, what's so interesting in the 20 years that I've worked in media is our role has significantly evolved. So it used to be about planning and buying. So we would go, there is a a marketing objective. We need to hit a target. We need to deliver sales. So here is a robust idea and here's the media plan, whether it's TV, digital, cinema and press, and we will go and trade that for you. And then there's an efficiencies conversation. Yes. Now we have all of this data and we have all of this technology. And it's about how do we work with the likes of Google? How do we work with Meta? How are we looking at things like Metaverse? What does Metaverse now mean for our clients? Should we be in that space? Shouldn't we be in that space? What does sustainability mean for our clients? And actually what's the reputational kind of strategy for that and how we look at it from a comms perspective so it's a, it's a particularly strategic role because you're looking at brand reputation, but you're also looking at how we're delivering products and how it all adds up yeah. to a more macro, I guess, business opportunity. So, that, so for us at OMD, we are what we call omni-channel. 
So we don't have people just trading in digital or TV or cinema. We have deliberately seven years ago looked at an omni-channel approach because people don't go, I'm going to look at an ad on TV and then I'm going to look at it here. They just live. They are people experiencing life every day. Correct. So how do we use our data and technology to really understand audiences so that we have a audience of people first approach to how we media plan and then buy and that strategic lens of how it all comes together to deliver business transformation for our clients. And obviously in the sort of from the context of Thai and I know that you're very familiar with Thai there's yeah. a few things that sort of caught me and I think from the point of view of your access to these brands local and in- international ones and they're super influential and we know that a lot of these brands are wanting to make a difference and i know this is something you talked about sustainability i know that this is something that's also really really important to you what do you see your role is in making business stand for more be it your business or helping your brands as well how does that come together yeah there's a couple of things in that for me i think a lot of it is education yeah and We are very honest that we are not experts in sustainability, but we're learning as well. What we can do is connect brands together, but we can also connect brands with the right people. So this is maybe two years ago. Um, we did uh, in COVID a live stream with David Ritter, the CEO of Greenpeace. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, who better to come and talk about sustainability than David? And we did an interview with him. So we asked him questions, but then we also did our own research as well. So again, having access to data, to audience, having the capability within our agency. So we have a marketing intelligence team who actually do a lot of focus groups, quant and qual to be able to then bring that actual customer or consumer uh, viewpoint together. So marrying that up with David Ritter gives the expert and also the customer consumer opinion. So sometimes it's about giving them the information. Yeah. Sometimes because we work with such wonderful and a lot of them are local Australian brands. I did mention Macca's, but there's a lot of local brands as well. It's about how we share what we're doing across different brands to inspire but also potentially connect those leaders together as well. So yeah. how do we host events where we're having that robust conversation but also we are the largest media agency so we trade the largest amount of media so that's across all channels so as i said in our market it's 7 9 and 10 are the big networks it could be meta it could be google could be amazon so our role is really influential in how they show up as well and one of the things that we are doing at the moment is a audit So again this is not about telling our clients where to spend their money this is about providing them with the right information so it's a continuation of what we look at as brand responsibility so again with brand responsibility we'll advise where are the safe and right places to be in and we set out the parameters that we believe that those partners should be playing in and if yeah. they don't fulfill that then a conversation happens or we pull advertising out on behalf of our clients because it's not the right place if there's inappropriate yeah. content for example and our advertising is next to that so we're very quick to respond to that and very proactive so it's the same for sustainability it's about speaking to those media partners understanding the practices and policies that they have in place and so we've got a really long list of things that we're auditing them on and then yeah. we will share that with our clients and say you know with anything with sustainability there's a sacrifice to to be had yeah 
If yeah. you want to carbon offset, you have to pay for that. If we highlight that one media partner is not as sustainable as another, well, do you spend less money with them and then redirect it to someone who has more sustainable practices? But that's going to impact your reach or your, you know, so they're the sorts of conversations that we're going to start having. And that's the impact that we can have is the power of bringing those brands together. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's this ever-evolving landscape, isn't it? I mean, even in the area of tie in our briefs and what NGOs are asking for, it's it's just evolving at record speed because what the corporates are doing when we talk about ESGs, for example, what the corporates are looking for, then how the NGOs can help. NGOs are wanting to know how they can be part of that conversation, but they don't know how to have that conversation. But then also the corporates don't really know how to kind of find them and what that can look like. And it's, and I just wonder because we just had can purpose played a big part of the work and speeches. And, and you talked about Greenpeace and Greenpeace were there. And for our listeners, there certainly was a protest from Greenpeace there talking about the oil industry. And the ad industry is also at risk of being more about the show than real action, pushing purpose when having clients that peddle petro, which I thought was an I read that somewhere. That's not my, I didn't put those words together, but I think it's a really pertinent issue and something that's valid now. And I think it's interesting with ESGs because there's so many companies box ticking and and chasing these ESGs. And I just wonder about real change. It's about impact. It's not about box ticking. It's not about the show when you're doing something else behind the scenes. And as someone who genuinely cares, I just wonder, what does this look like in your mind? And how do you, as a co-CEO of the biggest media agency in Australia, grapple with this? Yeah, it's a big old question, isn't it? From, um, I guess, there's, there's a lot of nuances in that. And if I think about, we've got some clients who, from a sustainability point of view, are never going to be particularly purist in how their sustainable practice because of the industry that they work in. And I think we have the conversations about whether or not we work with certain clients for that reason. What I think is interesting, though, is some of the clients that I've gone, oh, no, I just don't feel comfortable with. When you actually understand more about the sustainable practices and the roadmap that they're looking at, you go, well, they're not particularly sustainable, but they do have a roadmap and they genuinely do have a passion to make a difference. So I would rather, and I I realise this is quite a conflicting answer and some people will be completely against this, but I would rather work with a company like a petrol company who is then looking at what are the small incremental positive changes that they can make and we can be part of that journey than go, no, I'm not going to work with them. Because, you know, we work with McDonald's, of course, you know, Happy Meals. So one of the questions, how do we get plastic Happy Meal toys out of Happy Meals? If I can be part of that, Totally. And if I can yeah. be part of that and remove them, and, you know, we've yeah. obviously got the choice of books and Happy Meal toys, so that's progress. You know, yeah. how, do, how do you be part of those sorts of conversations that yeah. make a genuine difference? Then just kind of go, well, we're not going to work with them. If there is a partner that we, we work with and we go, there genuinely isn't a, a real desire to make a difference and, and, again, sits with us, doesn't sit with us in, in a way that feels right for our values, then they're not the right partner and we have walked away, whether that yeah. be from sustainability perspective or also for our people as well, because yes. purpose for our people is what's going to not only attract talent, but also retain talent. And if they feel that they're showing up and working on a client that isn't doing the right thing for people, for culture, whatever that may be, 
then that's not going to be motivating for them either. So it, it's such a, it's a kind of spider web that comes out of this, isn't there? There's so many totally. inputs and outputs. But yeah, that's my kind of view on it is, yes, we do have petrol companies and we do have a mining company. And I've, I've taken time to consider about whether they're the right partners. And actually the people that we're working with are brilliant and they are really smart, progressive chief marketing officers. And I want to be part of that conversation and that journey with them rather than yeah. let them go somewhere else and not push them and challenge them. And that's what we can do. We can challenge them. And if we feel that they're doing a campaign that's greenwashing, then it's quite easy for us to have that conversation because what do we do? We go back to the data. We yeah. go back to the audience data and we say, right, this is what audiences want. They want positive impact and change. Culturally, this is what we're seeing. These are the trends, the macro trends. If you go ahead, this is the possible implications of this and this is how it's going to reputationally impact your brand. So they're very open to those conversations because we can ground it in data. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And I actually just today I posted something around what you said of, you know, if everyone left the ad industry or if everyone left the private sector, then it's never going to change. And I'm a great believer in if you have an understanding of how to make things better and also what needs to happen to make things better, if you can be a driving force of that, however that is, then that is starting to make the steps to making the world a better place. And that's your ability to be able to, that, you know, that's where you can shine. And I am a huge believer in that. And I couldn't agree more with what you said. And you touched on it. And I want to now go there about, you know, what is a human centric organization in your mind? Because you touched on your people. And I know that this is something that is really important to you. What does that look like? Well, I can tell you what it tangibly looks like, because we've just taken 622 OMDs to the Gold Coast to do our conference. That was, again, seeing people physically connect. And the, and the kind of three pillars that we were looking at was connect, inspire and celebrate. And seeing those people come together and connect was incredible. And I yeah. think a lot of people talk about people first and people at the heart of their agency. We actually at that conference, Sean and I presented our evolved ambition and we were quite open about it. We were like, we've had this ambition for a long time, but we looked at it again with fresh eyes and went, it's become a bit of an identity. It's about performance. It's about integrity and transparency. But it was very much about our clients. Mm -hmm. And what the thing that was missing was our people. It was almost like we were subservient to clients. We were client servicing. And that's the way it had been, and it had served us really well. But we were like, if we put people at the heart of this ambition, then actually that is empowering our people to grow. It's then resulting in our clients' businesses growing because you've got people leaning into new capability. They're motivated. They're at the heart of what we're doing. But where we evolved our transparency was into purpose. So yeah. we said for us in this, in Australia, transparency has always been important. And that's what stands us apart. It quite a few years ago was quite murky in terms of how people were making their money. We put everything on top of the table and went, this is exactly how clients to the, to the client, sorry, this is how we make our money completely transparent. So when the client sees it, they might go, well, your fee seems higher. And we're like, yeah, because we're making no money at all in any of our trading, for example, or any of our tech costs, it's completely transparent. So the working media that they get is significantly higher once they unpack it. So we're very yeah. open about that and it's industry recognized. But for us, it was how do you evolve transparency? And for us, it was about purpose. 
So we've actually created a purpose charter, which we launched last week. It has an inclusivity will. We're starting to apply it to our clients and we want to have 100% of our clients signed up to this purpose charter. So ultimately, how are we looking at things like inclusivity? So how are we looking at LGBTQI audiences? How are we looking at Indigenous audiences? Because how we approach those different audiences will be very, very different than if we just had a holistic approach. And for our people, purpose means lots of different things. So it may be being part of what are the sustainable practices that we are doing as a business, because we need to make sure that we're sustainable. And the new offices that I gave you a virtual tour of earlier are exactly that. They're sustainable. You know, we've moved into a modern office that enables us to be able to carbon neutralise, to use rainwater, for example, to power the toilets and the, you know, washrooms and the kitchens. So, you know, again, that's really important to us to make sure that we are not taking away from the new community that we've now become a part of. So, yeah, I think the purpose part of it is really important, but we always come back to, are we making the right decisions for our people? And I would say that is more important now than ever before. What we've found during COVID, and we have the Media Federation of Australia, which is our industry board, they are seeing increased churn rates of people leaving. But what they're seeing worryingly is increased percentages of people leaving the industry. We need to ensure that if you come and work in the media industry, not only are you really enjoying what you're doing, that you're working on clients that are progressive and that you can have a contribution and an impact, but also outside of that, we can support your growth and your individual purpose across our business. So that could be one of the girls in our team, Phil, for her, her husband is Indigenous. So she has joined the MFA board in terms of supporting DE&I. And she actually did um, our, she introduced our Welcome to Country when we were at SeaWorld and introduced the Indigenous, uh, we had an Indigenous man and a lady who came out and actually talked about the Indigenous communities, the clan of that area and did a Welcome to Country. And that was a really powerful moment to see one of our OMDs stand up and talk from the heart about what this yeah, means. Really? So for her, that's fulfilling her purpose in a way. And she said to me several times, and I always say to her, thank you, that was incredible. I feel so proud to have you as part of the agency. And she's just like, I'm so proud to work for an agency that allows me to go and that do that. cares, that yeah. understands that that's even something that's important to her. Exactly. Yeah. And, she, and you know, I use her as an example, but she's been with us for about four years now and she's just taken on a new elevated role. She's really succeeding. She's really culturally vibrant in terms of the business because she's motivated yeah. and she's being fulfilled in terms of her purpose. Listening to you talk, you are a huge inspiration. One, just the fact that you are a woman who is the co-CEO of the largest media agency in Australia is a big deal. And... You're a mum of two little ones, so I think they're similar age to mine. So how, how old are they? So I've got two. Um, Arthur is five um, yes. and Betsy is eight and a half. That's right. Okay, so a little, yeah, so I've got an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old and you've got the five and the eight-year-old, exactly. So, I mean, you know what it's like juggling a young family and you're also aware of the drain of female talent due to childcare demands and yet... Feminine energy in business 
can result, and I feel like we're hearing this, can result in a more balanced and integrated organization. We understand a lot of what humans need. And there is data. I'm sure that you could find it being at OMD, but you know, there is data to prove that women in higher positions at companies do make these companies particularly good. So I'm just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on this? What can you tell an aspiring female corporate leader who is out there listening, who might want to have a family? How have you made it work? What are your thoughts on the sort of the drain of female talent, but also how are you making it work for your people? Yeah, it's, um, again, you're giving me all the big questions. So I haven't got a glass of wine, so I'm, <laughs> I'm still going on my, my uh, coffee and it's run out. Yeah, look, that's an, inc- it, it's some, even hearing you say that, it's quite a confronting question as well, because I'm a real planner and my, my downfall is I'm a perfectionist. And so what I'm having to grapple with is not being so hard on myself as well, because that can sometimes be my biggest downfall is I'm not doing everything. And I have to sometimes have a long chat with myself and go, you're not going to be able to do everything and it's not going to be perfect. And you know what? Balls are going to drop, but that's okay because you did 90% and you managed to get two children to school dressed (laughs) and yourself kind of dressed although (laughs) hair hair didn't come into it today and I forgot to wear my mascara last week but that's fine you kind of get there yeah and I think it's an acceptance of that so I love that and I I can relate totally (laughs) it is which was why working with home from home was easier because you could only dress from the you know from the top up and you could almost I found that I'd start in the morning and I'd progressively get smarter throughout the day because I'd quickly go and brush my hair or go and put a jacket on, uh, depending on what meeting I had. I think for me, look, there's a couple of things to this. I am very vulnerable in in how I lead. I am an empathetic person. I used to say I'm a bit of an oversharer and I've stopped saying that because actually that has quite often become my superpower because it means I can often relate to people. And when I'm going through a tough time personally, I'm quite open about it. I won't come in and be all kind of like, no, 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 it's fine. I actually find that if I talk to people about it, not only does it help me, but people often go, do you know what? I'm I'm feeling the same and blah, you know, whatever. You're human. Um, and you're human, exactly. And you build communities as well. And then you have the support of each other. And for me, that's really important. And they're not always female communities. In fact, one of the guys on our Exco, if I've got an idea or a thought or a concern, I often go and talk to him. And I was thinking about him last night because we were both at a dinner and we both had to leave to go and relieve the babysitter because his wife's a doctor. And so he actually picks up the children at three o'clock every single day. And we had our Exco meeting and he was like, sorry, I've got to go. It's three o'clock. I'm picking up my children. And then he'll log on and he'll work remotely. And I think that's brilliant because it's not yeah. always on the females yeah. to lead the way. And I actually really am quite inspired by him because I'm like, it's quite rare to see a guy do that. And that's yeah. a real shame. But I think they haven't had to. Because in some scenarios, they've had wives staying at home or working part time, and it's been a traditional family setup. And I think I talked about squiggly careers, and I've been referencing squiggly families lately, because there isn't the traditional setup. In fact, you've got, you know, Sean's husband works as well. So they're often the juggle is as real for them as it is for me, who's a single parent, you know, and I'm juggling that as well, whether or not I can do the events after work or whether I can work late because I'm working on a pitch. Like you're constantly having to juggle and prioritize. 
But one of my clients, when I first came here, gave me some really good advice. And that was, you need a village. And that village was quite scarce for me when I first got here because I had no family and I was rebuilding friends again. A lot of my friends had moved back to the UK who I'd made in Australia. So, you know, I have an incredible nanny that supports me two days a week who has become part of the family. She's like our surrogate grandma and her husband <laughs> is the granddad. So that's great. And she is an, a, and also an emotional support for me when she sees me running around. She'll kind of help me. But also it's how you build the relationships in your local communities, but also at work. So people have got your back. And if you go, I simply can't do this, someone will someone will always go, don't worry, I've got it. I'll do it. You do this. You do what you need to do. So I think that vulnerability becomes really important. And I think yeah. to your point, I love that term about feminine energy. I think that vulnerability makes people go almost like sigh of relief and go, it's okay. It's yeah. actually okay. We are doing an incredible incredible amount. I sometimes have quite honest conversations with the men in the office. And I had one last week with one of the guys that reports into me made a comment about how he puts food on the table and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you are speaking to the wrong person. I put the food on the table. I then umpire at my daughter's netball match. I make the lunch boxes every night. I drop the kids off. I do da, 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 da. And he kind of didn't know what to say. I kind of felt bad after because I thought he just hasn't experienced that. But actually, he can experience it secondhand through us. And it might give him a bit of a time to reflect and yeah. and potentially support his wife in a different way or support other women in the office in a different way. So I think there's a real educational role that if we do it in a way that's supportive and inclusive of men, not going up against them. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And go, look, I hear you. And maybe in that instance, I got it wrong because it definitely sparked a nerve. And I looked <laughs> back and I thought, yeah, I should, should have probably brought him in on that conversation. <laughs> but again, you learn. And go, how do, you, how do you have that more kind of inclusive conversation? And I think we have a really good reputation for flexibility. We have yeah. a lot of parents. We do parental leave for both the dad and the mum. Yeah. Um, we actually have a lot of couples. We work in media. That does happen here. <laughs> so we have, a lot, we have a lot of OMD babies, as we call them. Um, yeah. and so we're supporting the husband and the wife in the same office or across the group. Sometimes we have kids in the office. Sometimes we have dogs in the office. Sometimes we have both in the office and you just yeah. don't know from one day to the other what's going to happen. And you'll see a parent walking in looking a little bit kind of, you know, nine o'clock, really overwhelmed with a three year old going childcare closed this morning because a COVID case or, you know, and you're like, that's fine. We'll make it work. We'll, we'll make, make it, work. it work. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And then that child will be taken downstairs to sit with dad for the afternoon. Yeah. And that, again, it comes back to a people first organization doesn't totally. it you know it's interesting I think uh I mean so much of what you said really resonated but one of the big things you said was vulnerability and I just think it's interesting I've had a couple conversations recently with a couple of different Thai teams and one thing I find interesting is that feeling of needing to have everything perfect before speaking to the organization. So the, you know, the team kind of feels this necessity to have all their ideas in place before talking to the organization. I keep having these conversations saying, no, the, the trick is to work with the organization. You, you, the only way that you're even going to get to whatever that shiny idea is, is having that fluid conversation. You don't have to have all the answers. Be vulnerable. Say that you don't know. And it's really interesting because I had one individual and he's really senior. He contacted me separately and he just said, you know, just a bit concerned. I feel like I, I need to have the answers. I feel like I need to have this all kind of sorted and I just don't really know. And I said, but just be vulnerable. 
be vulnerable. It's okay. It's that ability to be vulnerable and actually know that it's okay. And you can still be a leader. You can still run the show, but having that vulnerability opens people up to wanting to connect more with you. I think women are very good communicators. And so you almost get support and backing to be vulnerable. And I think if we, again, coming back to inclusivity, if we can encourage men to also be vulnerable and, you know, not put a mask up, drop the mask and be who you are, then that becomes, you get to much deeper conversations. Once you're vulnerable with a client as well, as you say, or a partnership, I don't know the answers, but I'd love to hear from you because I reckon you'd have a really good point of view. How empowering is that for them as well? Like clients in particular love to kind of share their expertise. Totally. I'm really keen to talk to you a little bit about your Thai experience because you were involved in January of of this year. And, you know, Thai is all about going from can to do, and it's a celebration of doing of impact, painting a future of immediate action. I think it comes to to what we're talking about of, you know, there's a lot of kind of dreaming. I, wouldn't it be great if we could? Oh, I'd really like to be able to make a difference. Oh, it would be good to be able to make that change. But oh, I don't know if that's me. I, I guess, you know, I have to wait for the, the promotion or I have to wait for the... And Ty's like, no, it, it can be any background, any seniority, a woman, man, from wherever it is, in a very short amount of time, you can make incredible things happen and you can be a driver of that change. And you applied for Thai Accelerator, which is just amazing. And I just love to know, you know, what did you hope to accomplish and what came out of the experience from your point of view? Yeah, it's a good reflection, actually, because the reason I did it is because I feel very privileged working in the media industry. For me, it was about how do I apply my capability, my experiences to a genuine environmental problem. And in our case, it was obviously the MAR fund. So that was working to drive the regional funding and then the partnerships for the conservation of the reef. So also it's something I didn't really know. I knew about the Great Barrier Reef, but I didn't really know about the area there. and, and, And that in itself was really interesting to understand. And to your point, listen to local people. And I think it's fascinating because you were saying to us, don't keep trying to go in with the answers because we do that all the time in our job. We go in with what we think is a predetermined answer and then we try and rationalise it and kind of come out with the solution and go, ta-da, there we are. I was right all along. What was really interesting about this is we were usually wrong all the way through. (laughs) (laughs) And I quite liked that because what we as a collective team learn was that we didn't have any of the, the answers. And actually, that was okay. What was important was to listen and to explore. And yeah. I think that became probably the learning that I took out of it than what yeah. I thought I was going to come in and apply. So I thought I was going to come in and go, okay, I've got all this experience and capability and I can help them devise a strategy or a plan and here's the answer. I mean, you guys which, did. Which we it, got it, to in the yeah. end. <laughs> but what was interesting was we had do you remember we had that key point where we were literally all of us going I don't know what to do next I don't know I feel like I love that point that was like the best point (laughs) see I hated it because it made me so uncomfortable and I think that was the that was a really good thing for us to be in in an uncomfortable position because we'd be talking the four of us who were on the team going but I don't think we're doing it right and we haven't done this and we haven't done that and then you'd come in and go no you're doing everything right you're having the right conversations and what they're taking from this is incredible and we were like really so I think you kind of underestimate what you can actually bring and partner and and the learning we had was not to go in and go this is how you should do it 
yeah. is exactly what you said at the beginning is what can we do to help you and and to listen to what it is that they need and I think that's really powerful and that can be applied to anything anything was there a story that stood out for you yeah I was thinking about this again today I went through the notes that was a challenge wasn't it trying to not only find the locals but actually set up a time and then obviously we they only canceled. spoke in English and then they cancelled and Wow. So we did get there. But for us, there was a story. And it does resonate with what you've been saying, actually, Philippa, is that they were saying local people are used to having their culture stolen and then repurposed by people, brands and corporations. So it comes back to your point about sustainability and how do we work with communities to make things better rather than try and take over or own it. And I think, they, do you remember the rum-based um, Yes. It was called, yes. was it called Gif- Giffity? That I can't remember. I really can't remember, yeah. So the local people that we spoke to spoke about this. So what they did, they soaked the roots and the herbs in rum. And then this was made by the local people of the Caribbean coast. And then this giffity is then used um, medicinally. And you have different compositions for men or women. So pretty incredible, yeah? But they also use it recreationally. And I'm sure have a good time doing the shots. (laughs) But um, the story that they told us is that they are having a legal battle to the rights of using the name because going back to the earlier point is their culture is being stolen by brands and people and corporations that are coming in and taking that and you go that's that's not anyone's to come in and take that's part of their local fabric and that's actually having a positive impact on on their people Um, so you hear stories like that that are, are disheartening but again it goes back to how can we advise brands to do the right thing and use data or conversations or focus groups, Qualcomm, to be able to inform how we do the right thing. That's really interesting. I had a podcast with uh, Whitney Clapper, who's the head of impact at Patagonia. And mm. she's a friend of mine. And I asked her, what is the answer for corporates? You know, what, where is Patagonia going? What's the future? And she said, to be honest, to get out of the way. We need to get out of the way. We need to ask. And the key to a human-centric organization. The the key for us is we need to talk to the people who are on the front lines of the communities that we're working in, and we need to understand them, and we need to ask them what the solutions are because they know. They're at the front lines of, of climate change. They're at the front lines of what's happening, and we need to understand. And that's the only way that we're going to get there. And to find the answers, they can help us find them. You know, that's stuck with me because I just think any company, actually, if you go to the communities and you ask people what's not working what's working how do you feel if you are open to that you can find so many solutions and you can also find out what's not working and then to figure out what are the solutions to then have your clients and your customers connect with you and it it sounds simple it's it's not yeah totally and I think to do all of that you say as you say it's not easy to do that but if you go in with an open mind and the right intention and you genuinely listen without a predetermined agenda you will get to potentially a different place and for us sometimes it was uncomfortable but we had to kind of lean into that yeah and not then try and mold it into something that we were already trying to do so yeah yeah I think that is uh, you know Patagonia an incredible brand and rightfully in that space but I think you know getting out of the way is very good advice and I think yeah listening to it's a bit like what we do in this business, coming back to people base. If, we, if we're making the decisions at the top for our people, that's not the right thing. One of the things we did is we created what we call Exec Next. 
which was it's uh, seven people nationally who are of sort of mid-level and they come to the exec meetings and we give them a brief and they go out to the agency and they solve our business problems by speaking to the people on the front line who are living it day in day out and they Amazing. come back and challenge us and yeah we're really open to that we're like oh okay we didn't think about that well, of course you didn't, because you're all in your 40s and you've got your families and you've got this, this and this. And we're all in our 20s living a very different life and experience. Yeah. And that's a really healthy reminder to have those sorts of conversations. That is such a good takeaway from this. I hope everyone got that. That's genius. Well, we have come to the end. I just, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to tell our listeners? And I just wonder if there's a quote that perhaps sums up our chat today. It's more about the advice I give people and it comes back to the point I made about vulnerability. And I always say to people, if you try to be someone else, you'll become nobody at all. And the only great person you have the possibility of becoming is the greatest version of yourself. Yourself. And I think that's really important because for me, it's about being your authentic self, whether that be at work, whether that be at home. Um, And if you can be that and be vulnerable and show leadership in that way, then I think that's really influential for the future generation um, for positive change. Oh, what a great way to leave this. I've really, (laughs) yeah, uh, this has been fantastic. You've left people with a lot to think about, including myself. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you for joining me. Great. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is Philippa again. I hope you enjoyed listening. Now, this is your chance to get involved with Thai. If you work in the commercial world, whatever your profession, your position, or your experience, then Thai could be for you. You may have been in business for decades, but have always felt there's another way. Or you may just have a few years experience, but want to do more. Equally, if you want to create game-changing employees and see your company impact the world, we've got you covered. Thai has never been more necessary than right now and you can be a part of it. Reach out to me at philippa at theinternationalexchange.co.uk and I can tell you more. Or join the Thai Accelerator info session for more information. Apply.thaiaccelerator.com Better leaders, better companies, better world. I'm your host, Philippa White. This podcast has been co-produced by Berna Vieira and me. Music by Berna Vieira and artwork by Kelps Vahais. I hope we'll meet again soon.